Hello, Jazz Session listeners. I am Jason Crane, host of the Jazz Session, announcing the 100 by 300 campaign. That's right, my goal is to get 100 members by the 300th show to keep the Jazz Session going, and you can join very easily. Just visit thejazzsession.com and click on either the join link at the top of the page or the one on the side of the page. There are monthly levels starting at 10 bucks a month. There are yearly levels starting at $110 a year. Please join the people who have already become members and help keep the Jazz Session going. The Jazz Session receives no external funding from any source uh, up to and including All About Jazz, and that means for me to keep doing it, I need you. Thousands and thousands of you listen to every show, and if you could find the uh, the cost of maybe two cups of coffee uh, a month in your couch cushions, you can help keep the show going for years to come. That is the 100 by 300, 100 members by the 300th show. Join now at thejazzsession.com. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is also available for free in iTunes and at thejazzsession.com. And while you're at thejazzsession.com, I encourage you to please become a member of the show for as little as 10 bucks a month or $110 a year. The Jazz Session just passed 800,000 downloads, uh, I think, on Thanksgiving night which was very exciting, and uh, I'd like to keep that going and have another 800000 And that means I need your support. So if you haven't yet become a member, please uh, consider giving something to the show. Thanks very much. My guest today is saxophonist Rajesh Mahantapa. He has a new album with saxophonist Bunky Green called Apex. <laughs>
My guest is saxophonist and composer Rudresh Mahantapa, who has an album called Apex with another saxophonist, Punky Green. That is, uh, is just fantastic. It's, I think, being hailed as certainly one of the records of the year, and it's, uh, it's my pleasure to have Rudresh on the show. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, thanks for having me, Jason. I appreciate it. And I thank you even more because uh, although I'm doing this interview at the very civilized hour of uh, 10 a.m., you're doing it at the rather uncivilized jazz hour of, of 7 a.m. because uh, <laughs> you're out on the West Coast. Uh, what, are you, what are you doing out there? I know you're playing at Yoshi's. Uh, tell folks about uh, what's happening out there. Yeah, this is really interesting. I'm actually playing with Nguyen Lee. Uh, Nguyen Lee is a great guitarist. Uh, he's based in Paris. He's French-Vietnamese. Um, he's not so well known in the U.S. I mean, he has kind of a a cult following uh, here, and I think, uh, but he's very well known in Europe. Um, he's been recording for Act Records for well over ten years now, maybe even longer. Um, and I've always thought of him as being definitely one of the world's great uh, jazz guitarists and kind of innovative uh, revolutionaries in this music. So he has a trio called the Sayuki Trio, which is with um, him and uh, tabla and koto, like a Japanese uh, string instrument. Um, and it's a really cool group, and he had this little U.S. tour here, and he invited me to to kind of be a guest with the trio, which has been a real blast. It's really great music, and... Um, and amazing musicians. Yeah, I, I totally agree with your assessment of his playing, and and highly recommend him to folks who haven't checked out his music. Well, well, that sounds very exciting. And I know uh, usually I do the the upcoming events thing at the end of the show, but I know this is uh, a part of kind of a, a, a decent string of of performance dates for you. And there's a fair amount, if I'm not mistaken, coming up in in early December. Also, right back uh, back on the East Coast. Yes, definitely. I feel like I'm actually in in a sort of guitar hell here. <laughs> I'm uh yeah, I have uh some gigs with Dave Fusinski, who's also I think of as being one of the world's great guitarists for sure. Um we're doing a four-night run at Iridium with a new group of his that uh, also features John Medeski. So that's really exciting. And then um and then uh Reza Bossi uh who's also brilliant, um, is premiering some new music uh, at Cornelia Street Cafe in the middle of the month, and so we're going to do uh, a weekend there and then record his next record. And that's also a wonderful band with Vijay Iyer on piano, uh, Dan Weiss on drums, and Johannes Weidenmuller on bass. So, yeah, it's an exciting month, and it's a lot of music for me to learn. <laughs> um, <laughs> and also coming up really soon, I think, um, unfortunately, oh, no, I maybe, hmm, what day is it today? I think your listeners will miss this one, but, um, but Mark Dresser is leading a band uh, for the first time in over five years now, uh, and we're going to be doing something at Cornelia Street also, and that's a quintet with me and... Mike Desson, who's a great uh, California-based trombone player, and Denman Maroney and Tom Rainey. So I'm really excited about that. And is that between now and Monday? Is that why you're saying that folks will... Uh, folks yeah, will that's actually Sunday night. Oh. <laughs> hopefully uh, we'll be doing more stuff, and, and folks can keep an eye out for that. I mean, Mark is a really brilliant bass player and brilliant composer, and he's involved in a lot of collective projects, but he's... Uh, got the bug to start uh, leading a band again, so, um, so I'm, I'm excited.
excited about that for sure. And I've never played with Tom Rainey before, which is something I'm very much looking forward to. Well, luckily, uh, each week on the jazz session, I give away a one free time machine. So uh, at least one listener will be able to go back to yesterday and uh, and hear that gig, which is when it will have occurred by the time this uh, this show comes out. <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah, well, it's a special deal I've worked out with the with the U.S. government. Um, so uh, on, on to Apex. The uh, the thing about Apex that I think impressed me most at at first listen was. How much, and I find myself, I, I guess I say this more often than I should, but how much this really sounds like a band? And I know you have relationships with all the people who are in this group, but I also know who these people are. It's a, these are remarkably busy folks. I mean, it's not like you guys had a year to spend you know, touring around the world playing this music. And yet, this incredibly often complex uh, music comes off sounding as if you'd all been playing it together for years. Uh, to what do you ascribe that? <laughs> well, I'm flattered, first of all. Um, you know, I think it, it was... Uh, hmm. It is because of the relationships we all have. And um, and I don't know. I just didn't ever really doubt that that would be the case with, with this particular collection of musicians. I knew... I knew that there would be an incredible simpatico, even though, for example, you know, Francois and Jack Dijonette, um because of that volcano in Iceland, Francois got stuck in Europe and he missed all the rehearsals. So they actually didn't play together until we got to the recording session, which is really not a situation that I like to to have uh, when I'm making an album or when I'm doing anything, really. Um, but I just knew that uh, I knew that the hookups would be really strong. I mean, like you said, you know, me and Bunky have a history that goes way back, uh, even though we haven't played together so much, we always knew that there'd be a hookup there. And, and Jason is someone that I've known and played with on and off uh, since I moved to New York 13 years ago. And he's also done some stuff with Jack. I think the Don Byron's Ivy Divey Trio was originally with, with Jack and Jason and Don. Um, and Jason also played on a record of Bunkies a few years ago that Steve Coleman produced, I think back in '04. Uh, and Francois just the um, and Damien Reed are both you know just impeccable, sensitive sidemen that I've been working with for a long time. And uh, yeah, for some reason I wasn't worried about um, it not sounding like a band. I don't know. I don't know why, but I think in the end it really is because it's this unique amalgamation of musicians that. Um, that just uh you know they're spontaneous they're in the moment and they know how to bring a new piece of music to life and create uh something very cohesive
and I, th- I think we got almost everyone's last name in there, but just to be sure, uh, joining you with Bunky Green on alto saxophone, Jason Moran on piano, Francois Moutin on acoustic bass, and then uh, the drums are split between Jack DeJeanette and Damien Reed. Uh, the, uh, the compositions are also split, and uh, so I guess I wonder, was there... Uh, when you and Bunky were talking about uh, what this what this record would comprise compositionally, uh, did you did you have some discussion about what kind of tunes uh, to bring to the session? Because they're very cohesive, which is again a band that was put together for this occasion, and then half compositions by one person and half by another. And I don't think anyone could guess that if you didn't tell them. Uh, so was there some kind of conversation about well, this is kind of the general idea of this record, or was it just the fact that you have similar sensibilities that led to the cohesiveness? Well, there is a little bit of, of the latter there, but I think, you know, the, the primary premise was that this album wasn't going to be a cutting session. It wasn't going to be an alto competition. And therefore, the, the music had to be... Uh, structured in such a way that um, it was really going to highlight what we both do, uh, you know, within the kind of confines of where our, our kind of shared middle ground is. I mean, as some of your listeners might know, uh, you know, a lot of my music thus far has been, oh, pretty difficult, you know, <laughs> like a, a lot of odd meters, um, a lot of kind of South Indian-based rhythms and beat cycles. And, you know, Bunky made it very clear from the beginning that he wasn't so interested in in doing that. Um, I know that he has a great capacity to to play music that, you know, has some of those elements to it, but he felt like he wanted to be part of something where he felt as comfortable as possible. So... um, so that the improvisation, you know, that, that the that the solos just kind of flowed a little more. You know, what he said to me early on was, you know, if you write something like that, I can learn it and I'll know it, but I'll never really feel comfortable on it. I'll never really feel spontaneous. So, um, for him, on his side, I think he was writing music that could kind of, you know, bring out this interaction between us, not only soloing-wise, but even on the melodies. There's a, a certain sort of built-in looseness uh, where we can kind of play with the melody and kind of bounce off of each other. And for me, I took it as an opportunity to actually try to write some music that was in some more traditional jazz formats. You know, I, um, you know, I wrote a blues for the album, and I wrote a rhythm changes tune, and I wrote... Uh, a quote-unquote sort of modal tune that's kind of reminiscent of, you know, like something that Elvin or McCoy would have done in the late 60s or early 70s or something. So the challenge for me was to write within those formats, um, but still somehow uh, maintain some sort of my own compositional voice, some sort of individuality there as a composer, and also bring out... um, I don't know, just bring out a scenario where we felt like we're still putting forth our personalities when it comes, when it does come to taking a solo, you know, so...
agreed that it would be kind of equal billing on the album and that we would each contribute, um, you know, four or five tunes. And, and then as it turned out, we, we also took an opportunity to each play a tune on our own, which uh, I think is kind of a nice break in the, in the whole layout of the album. Uh, I, I just want to point out, and unfortunately we couldn't hear it quite as well as I could hear it when I was on the phone with the front desk, but there is what I can only s- consider like a <laughs> 1940s classic throwback train horn sound that happens about every 10 or 15 minutes, as far as I can tell, in the background there, which is beautiful. It sounds like we're doing this interview in like 1947, <laughs> and you're about to go on the stage with Tommy Dorsey's band or something, and we're, <laughs> we're having this whole experience. Yeah, it's, it's very funny. Yoshi's is in this, in this area... Uh, called Jack London Square in Oakland, and the California commuter rail just kind of runs right down one of the main streets, <laughs> so it's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of a trip, uh, uh, and um, it, it starts pretty early in the morning, <laughs> That's Oh, that's true, yeah, it's like 7 a.m., right, so yes, I'm sure it's probably not quite as uh, as pleasant for, for you as it is for me. Um, uh, it, it is what it is. Yeah. You can kind of hear it. It's funny if you're playing a ballad at the club and the train goes I know you've told this uh, story before. I mean, even tell it in the, in the liner notes. But for uh, for jazz session listeners who may not be familiar with uh, with the beginning of your familiarity with Bunky Green, will you uh, will you just mention how you became aware of his music? Sure. Um, you know, when I was at Berkeley, I think it was my second year there, so it was probably ninety one. Um, you know, I had heard. I, I was obviously into Bird and, and Coltrane and um, the usual, you know, ever-influential masters. Um, but I had heard uh, Steve Coleman and Greg Osby. Greg was doing some great records for for JMT, and um, I first heard Steve Coleman on uh, Dave Holland Extensions album, I think came out in 90 or 91, and uh, managed to see that band live, which was, which was amazing. Um, but the the thing for me was, you know, I was already kind of on a track where I was trying to develop some sort of different vocabulary um, as a both as an improviser and a composer, but more as an improviser um, that was coming out of different, you know, sources coming from twentieth century classical music, and you know, I was really into a lot of ways, a lot of of classical theory and also kind of reverse engineering methods that were used to analyze 20th century music as a way to kind of um, generate ideas uh, to use as an improviser, to use as a soloist. And um, so I felt kind of a, a kinship to, to Steve and Greg um, in what they were had already well established. Um, but one time I was warming up before a lesson with uh, Joe Viola. Joe Viola was a legendary saxophone teacher who many great musicians have studied with. He's uh, since passed away. But he heard me warming up for a lesson, and he asked me, he said, have you ever heard of Bunky Green? I said, I, said, I have no idea who that is. And he had kind of a secret closet of, of rare albums and rare saxophones and mouthpieces and stuff. So he, he went into his closet and pulled out this LP of Bunkies called Places We've Never Been that was uh, recorded for a long-ago defunct Chicago label called Vanguard Records. Um, and for your listeners, if they're interested, that album did finally come out on iTunes uh, uh, a few years ago. So that is available. It never came out on CD, though. 
Um, but the uh, I put that album on and I was completely blown away because I could hear the tradition of of everything that came before. I could hear Bird in there. I could hear Train. I could hear Duke Ellington in what he was doing. But it was so fresh and and so raw and so vocal. You know, it's like you know he had like he still has this way to that he sings through the horn that is that's really remarkable and unique to me um and i was kind of a little hustler back then or maybe that hasn't really stopped but i was always uh <laughs> i was always passing out tapes you know just trying to get feedback i had a little demo of me playing a couple of originals of mine and a couple of standards and anybody i could give it to i would give it to um so and this is all before the days of the internet so you know tracking someone down took actually a little bit of work i knew that he was teaching at university of north florida so i just called you know national directory assistance and and got the phone number for the school and eventually got patched through to his office and i told him who i was and asked him if i could send him a cassette um and you know get get some feedback from him and he he thought that that was fine and so I did that. I sent him a tape, and he called back, uh, you know, a week or two later, uh, which was very funny because he called at, like, 8 a.m. on a Saturday, which is, you know, not something you do to a college student usually. <laughs> and <laughs> and he asked me if I was sleeping, and I said yes. And he said, well, why are you sleeping? You should be up practicing. <laughs> but he was really into it. I mean, he was very supportive. He said, you know, you're, you're going for something different and you know, all I can tell you is keep doing it. Um, which, uh, which was great, you know, and then, but what happened later was I, I ended up in Chicago for grad school after Berkeley. Unlike most of my friends had moved directly to New York, which I chose not to do. And, and I was at DePaul university and the big band was playing at the jazz educators convention in LA that year. And I saw Bunky, and I reminded him of sending him this tape, and he had a vague recollection of that. But we were playing, we were going to be doing a performance there, and I was kind of a featured soloist with the band. So every time I ran into him at the conference, I kept reminding him that we were playing. <laughs> it's like, you know, Sunday, 4 o'clock, be there, you know. And, um, you know, we played, and uh, he was waiting for me by the side of the stage and gave me a huge hug and said, um, uh, he said, you know what, there are only four of us. He said, there's me and there's you and there's Greg and there's Steve and we all have to take the alto saxophone into the future because no one else is doing it. And, you know, whether or not that's the case, that <laughs> those are some really inspiring words that I was, uh, you know, uh, those words, you know, fueled me for a number of years, so.
And then we just stayed in touch over the years, you know. Um, I was in Chicago a few more years, and I had talked to him about bringing him out to do something with me. Um, but he's a little bit careful about what he wants to do, and he's actually from Chicago, and he has kind of a mixed relationship with with the city and the, the clubs and the venues. And it became clear to me that if he if we were going to do something, he wanted to do something kind of on a larger scale. He just he didn't want to just go do a weekend at a club someplace, and. Um, so it kind of took a while for it to come around, but we kept in touch. We ran into each other at these conventions, and we would talk a couple of times a year. And um, eventually, uh, there's this wonderful series in Chicago in August, uh, a weekly jazz series in Millennium Park, which is where the big Frank Geary bandstand is. It's a beautiful place. It's, I'm sure some of your listeners have seen it if they visited Chicago. And... Uh, they have a series called Made in Chicago World Class Jazz, which is supposed to feature Chicago musicians or musicians that have a tie to Chicago. And so they called me about bringing my Kinsman project there and adding a bunch of Chicago musicians to that. And the Kinsman project is a project with a alto player from India. And so it's a very expensive project to, to kind of mobilize. And it wouldn't work just as a one-off. So I said, that's not going to work. But me and Bunky have been talking about doing something for a long time. Let me see if he's down. And he was really into it. Uh, and so it was me and Bunky and Francois Moutin and then a bunch of guys that I used to play with in Chicago. It was four horns and rhythm section. And it went off beautifully, and there were 10,000 people there. And uh, so then we, got, we knew that we had to record. We didn't know in what format. Um, and it, then it just so happened that everything lined up where... Jason was available, and Jack was available, and Francois and Damien were, you know, everything kind of lined up that we were able to do a couple of gigs at the Jazz Standard in New York and um, and then make this album. So here we are, uh, <laughs> you know, 19 years later. That's uh, a really, it's a beautiful story. I, uh, it's unfortunate considering my profession, but I have never been particularly good at describing music in words, and uh, you uh, described... Uh, Bunky's sound as raw and vocal, uh, which is actually which is great, very useful because that's really a very apt description of what I what I think of you. One of the things I've always liked most about your playing uh, was not so much that I feel like when you play I'm listening to you sing, but more like when you play I feel like I'm listening to you talk. Like I, I feel like I'm listening to you be very honest, and that's the thing I think I've always appreciated most about the sound of your saxophone playing. And I I do agree. In fact, that. You don't remind me particularly of of uh, Greg and Steve. I, I think you're too individual for that. But I, I really, uh, when I heard this record with Bunky, that was really the first time that I kind of directly connected that that emotional honesty in your playing to someone else because it sounds it sounds very much like a similar place that that he's coming from. That's not a, really a question, I guess, just an observation. Yeah. No. Well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's definitely what I valued. In, in his playing uh, along with everything else I mean you know it's one thing to be putting forth some something that's innovative and something that's fresh um, but it's another thing to be doing that with you know with warmth and, and thoughtfulness and um, and really kind of communicating something I mean I think that's everyone that I look up to that's influenced me or inspired me to play this music kind of 
had that. They had this equal balance of left brain and right brain, of of intellect and seat of the pants happening all at once. And and、um, I mean that's not that's something I just value in life in general. I mean whether I'm looking at visual arts or、um, You know, I think even like the hard sciences have you know elements of that, and、um, you know, I come from a family of scientists, and I and I feel like you know they're all brilliant, but they're all kind of working from the seat of the pants at the same time, which is which I think is a, a really special place to to get to, or a special place to to strive to be a part of. My guest is composer and alto saxophonist Rudresh Mahantapa. He and another alto saxophonist and composer Bunky Green have an album called Apex on Pi Recordings.、Uh, it's really brilliant, and I highly recommend it to your attention.、Uh, Rudresh,、uh, uh, this has has been a long time in the making. This interview, and、uh, I thank you for doing it at this ungodly hour of the morning when we, as we now know, you should be practicing, obviously. So、uh, <laughs> rather know, than I should be practicing <laughs> with all the music I have to learn, I should be practicing. But I think.、Uh, I think a few more cups of coffee are in order at this point. <laughs> well, thank you very much for doing it.、Uh, it's been a pleasure to talk to you, and、uh, I wish you all the best. Likewise, Jason. Thank you so much. That's music from saxophonist Rudresh Mahantapa and his new album with saxophonist Bunky Green called Apex. I'm Jason Crane. This is the Jazz Session presented by All About Jazz, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Please、uh, consider becoming a member of the show for as little as ten bucks a month or $110 a year, and support the 100 by 300 campaign. 100 members by the 300 show. 
Speaking of support, my thanks for support from the Respect Sextet, who composed the theme music for this program. You'll find them online at respectsextet.com. And thanks also to Dave Vrabel, who designed the show's logo. Thanks so much for listening. Now get out there and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Bye. Bye. Bye.